Welcome to Bible News Press. Our goal is to discuss biblical faith beyond cliches and buzzwords, whether such words are religious or political. Sometimes we sit around the table and fellowship. Sometimes we do a little time travel. It is all part of our journey with our Abba Father, who has given us the key to life. We do it with Jesus, and we do it together. Welcome. Hello, I'm Laura. I will be reading Acts chapter 5 from the World English Bible. But a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being aware of it, then brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the price of the land? While you kept it, didn't it remain your own? After it was sold, wasn't it in your power? How is it that you have conceived this thing in your heart? You haven't lied to men, but to God. Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and died. Great fear came on all who heard these things. The young men arose and wrapped him up, and they carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife, not knowing what had happened, came in. Peter answered her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said yes, for so much. But Peter asked her, How is it that you have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. She fell down immediately at his feet and died. The young men came in and found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her by her husband. Great fear came on the whole assembly and on all who heard these things. By the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. They were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. None of the rest dared to join them. However, the people honored them. More believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. They even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mattresses, so that as Peter came by, at the least his shadow might overshadow some of them. The multitude also came together from the cities around Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. But the high priest rose up and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy and laid hands on the apostles, then put them in public custody. But an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors by night and brought them out and said, Go stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. When they heard this, they entered into the temple about daybreak and taught. But the high priest came and those who were with him and called the council together and all the senate of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But the officers who came didn't find them in the prison. They returned and reported, We found the prison shut and locked and the guards standing before the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the high priest, the captain of the temple, and the chief priests heard these words, they were very perplexed about them and what might become of this. One came and told them, 
Behold, the men whom you put in prison are in the temple, standing and teaching the people. Then the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence, for they were afraid that the people might stone them. When they had brought them, they set them before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, Didn't we strictly command you not to teach in this name? Behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you killed, hanging him on a tree. God exalted him with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, to give repentance to Israel and remission of sins. We are his witnesses of these things, and so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. But they, when they heard this, were cut to the heart and were determined to kill them. But one stood up in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law honored by all the people, and commanded to put the apostles out for a little while. He said to them, You men of Israel, be careful concerning these men, what you are about to do. For before these days, Theudas rose up, making himself out to be somebody, to whom a number of men, about four hundred, joined to themselves. He was slain, and all, as many as obeyed him, were dispersed and came to nothing. After this, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the enrollment and drew away some people after him. He also perished, and all, as many as obeyed him, were scattered abroad. Now I tell you, withdraw from these men and leave them alone, for if this counsel or this work is of men, it will be overthrown. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow it, and you will be found even to be fighting against God. They agreed with him. Summoning the apostles, they beat them and commanded them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. They therefore departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for Jesus' name. Every day, in the temple and at home, they never stopped teaching and preaching Jesus the Christ. That is the end of chapter 5. This section begins with a counterexample to Joseph, a.k.a. Barnabas, who was just spoken well of at the end of chapter 4. Here are some things that stand out to me about this account of Ananias and Sapphira. This is the first recorded corruption of sorts within church fellowship. Both husband and wife are held uniquely and individually culpable. Ananias is held accountable for allowing Satan to fill his heart with desires to lie. And then Ananias is held completely responsible for the lying. And here I refer you to James 1.13, where it says God does not tempt us, and also 1 Corinthians 7.5 and 2 Corinthians 2.11, where it talks about Satan trying to wrongly influence us. Peter's pronouncement indicates that even if they had openly given part of the proceeds, all would have been well. It is much like the free will offerings that God uh, tells the Israelites about giving in Exodus 35, and then in Exodus 36, they have to be told to stop giving, they're giving too much. And then Paul teaches in 2 Corinthians 9-7 about being a cheerful giver, 
I looked up this verse in BibleStudyTools.com and it talks about cheerful, meaning more like being gracious with an attitude of caring and without resentment. Leviticus 1.3 is another place where it talks about free will offerings. So you begin to see a pattern of how God likes us to approach him. There is nothing in this text, in this account, about Peter predicting Ananias would die, like he does later predicting that Sapphira would die. And as mentioned when reading the genealogies of 1 Chronicles 6 last week that mention Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, this is a similar scenario to when God was giving instructions for worship in the temple for the first time. There, Nadab and Abihu are killed for doing things wrongly, but other kings and priests were not immediately killed for arrogantly misrepresenting or not following the instructions of Yahweh. But the first example shows the seriousness of the offense, that this is not how God wanted his temple or his church to think about him. And it is worth noting that in 1 Corinthians 6.19 is where Paul says that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So lies have no place among the people of God. And I refer you to John 8.44, where Jesus says the devil is the father of lies, is a liar from the beginning. The text seems to imply, but does not say outright, that Ananias and Sapphira were believers. And it seems possible they were when you think about, for instance, Moses not entering the promised land because of hitting the second rock, or David not building the temple because he was a man of war. Needing to severely discipline someone, in this case to the point of physical death, for the sake of the church as a whole is not the same as damning them to hell. The whole of it for both Ananias and Sapphira seems to be that they actually thought they could lie to the Holy Spirit, to God, and God showed them that he knows the inner workings of the heart. He didn't just show them, he showed everyone. Now, the veil was torn, and anyone and everyone is invited to repent and be born again. See the parable of the wedding feast in Matthew 22. But a person has to believe in God as he presents himself. Check out Romans 10.14. God presents his character to us. We cannot totally comprehend his greatness, but we are held responsible for rightly understanding and applying and representing the many things that he has revealed about himself. From these sad events, the narrative goes on to talk about lots of signs and wonders, emphasizing healing and casting out demons. In Acts 5.12, where it says they were all in one accord, I wondered, I went back and kind of looked at the text to see if it was specifically referring to the apostles, the um, purging, in effect, of the lie of Ananias and Sapphira may have kept a unity in the rest of the believers at that point, though we know from other New Testament letters that this did not continue even for very long after that. The signs and wonders are specified as coming through the apostles, and you might see this as based on other scripture along the same lines as Jesus doing signs and miracles, as he stated, to emphasize the truth of the message. And also it points out that at this point, non-believers didn't dare pretend to join. In verse 17, the Sadducees get jealous again. 
I'm constantly amazed at how truth in love drives some people to a hatred so fierce that they desire to kill those who proclaim it. Somehow it seems to sear their souls and they can't ignore it, but they don't want to submit to it and are deluded into thinking they can resolve things by murder, as we will see in verse 33. But first, there is a prison break with the help of an angel of the Lord. In verse 19, it says the angel opened the doors and brought them out. So based on verses 22 through 23, where it was all locked up and the guards were standing there like nothing had happened, I'm guessing some sort of blindness or stupor happened to the guards and the angel locked up after himself. He could have left things open, certainly, but this setup makes it clear to them all that this was miraculous. It sounds like, in this case, it was actually all the apostles that were locked up. But their instructions were to get right back to teaching, which they did, openly. But they were not always miraculously preserved, either from suffering or death, because they all these things also had their place in propagating and preserving the message of Jesus the Christ. To put this in perspective a little bit, we know that Peter's wife is mentioned specifically in Matthew 8.14, and Paul talks about multiple apostles having believing wives in 1 Corinthians 9.5, so these were family men. At least some of them probably had children. This was no light undertaking for them. In verse 24, the World English Bible here used the word perplexed, which is the same word used in the English Standard Version and the American Standard Version, and it gives a sense of being out of one's depth. A few versions use the word wondered. I like perplexed. They have such a limited and distorted view of God that they can't understand what's happening right in front of their faces. Of course, their limited view is their own fault because of what they choose to believe, and they have ended up deluding themselves. So they just go right back to their pomp and ceremony. They don't even ask how the disciples got out. They are more concerned with being accused of something they actually did do. And of course, Peter and the apostles, it says, and the apostles, tell them straight up, that yes, indeed, they did kill the prince, the savior that God sent, but yes, indeed, he is alive. Remember, they are mostly Sadducees. But instead of the repentance that is spoken of, they respond with thinking about killing the apostles. So then enter center stage, the sage Gamaliel, who is actually a Pharisee. He reminds them of two previous men who had followers, but who died. What is curious to me is that his warning neglects to mention that Jesus died and his followers are still around and declaring that he rose from the dead, but maybe that is why he is cautious in saying this could be of God. The agreement of the rest of the council, who are predominantly Sadducees, seems to only be not to kill them because they still beat them and they tell them to be quiet. They don't seem to give a lot of thought to the idea that they might be fighting against God, even with all the miracles and perplexing prison breaks. And in spite of the beatings, the apostles never stop teaching and preaching. It is presented like it didn't even phase them. They proceed with rejoicing. When you accept the truth and live for the loving God who provides a way of salvation through repentance, through the simplicity of faith, it should lead to rejoicing. What a great hope we do have who trust in Him. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. That is the Bible News Press segment for today. 
but not the end of our journey. 